Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, I'm Paul Stevenson and this is Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate classic rock podcast that says that my music is better than yours. Make sure to subscribe to Vintage Rock Pod on your podcast app right now so you don't miss a single episode. There's some awesome guests lined up for the next few weeks and you really, really don't want to miss them. Now this is episode 99, almost at the big 100 mark. 99 different guests which we've had on the show, which is pretty crazy really. Of course, if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you'll know there's many more episodes on the Vintage Rock Pod feed, whether they're specials or returning guests, some we've had on three times in fact, or there's some This Day Rocks episodes that are still available to listen to as well. Loads of classic rock content for you to really get involved with and enjoy, so please explore the back catalogue of fantastic shows. Next week's episode 100 has a brilliant guest on it, so make sure you subscribe so you don't miss that and the future ones as well. Also, please do check out Vintage Rock Pod on YouTube. The channel is growing at a crazy rate. By the time you listen to this, it should be at or just about to hit 10,000 subscribers on the channel, which is brilliant. Thank you so much if you do follow the content on there as well. It's a really great community of rock fans that are building on there. They get involved in the daily poll. They get debating. It gets quite lively at times. So check out the channel. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod on YouTube. Get involved with the polls and comment and, and really get involved with everything that's going Going on with the crazy kind of classic rock world. We are keeping classic rock alive with all these interviews. Anyway, on today's shows, I've got a great chat with a guitar genius. Now, that phrase gets slung around quite a lot, but this man's innovative guitar style led to the creation of his own unique guitar. With his fascination with different styles, he fashioned a guitar with additional frets. There's 30, in fact, on his guitar. And to counteract the narrowness of these additional frets, if you're a guitarist, you'll know what I mean, they were widened by a whole step just to get the highest notes on there and to try and emulate the violin. And they also became seven-string guitars as well, just to make it that much better. But technical points aside, he came to prominence with the Scorpions, working on four of their seminal studio albums and a live album as well. He's released some huge solo records and worked with many legends and he's been cited as a major influence by other guitarists such as Metallica's Kirk Hammett, Megadeth's Marty Friedman and Ingve Malmsteen. I am of course talking about the wonderful German guitar hero Uli John Roth. Now, I spoke with Uli recently as he's got some tours lined up across the UK and North America with shows waiting to be announced across Europe as well. He's going to be a busy man. Plus, the re-release of his seminal Electric Sun records too. So we speak about that towards the end of the interview after we hear some really cool things from his career. There's a few listener questions thrown in as well. So thank you to the Vintage Rock Pod VRPs for sending those in. You're going to get to hear about his playing style and how he developed it, his important time in the Scorpions, what his relationship 
relationship is like with the band now and his thoughts on whether he could team back up with them in the future. He also exclusively reveals that he almost left the band and joined another high-profile one in 1975. You've got to listen out for that. There's his thoughts on Richie Blackmore and Yngwie Malmsteen and a fascinating part where he describes what he thinks and feels during one of his legendary guitar solos. It's a fascinating interview, as you'd expect. So please get ready to enjoy this one with the great Uli John Roth. So 2023 is another busy year for Uli John Roth, a series of releases. There's tours planned as well, and I'm delighted to say he'll be coming to the UK and playing dates right across the British Isles. I'm excited to hear about that and the releases. But first, we're going to start with some questions from your fans and the Vintage Rock Pod subscribers as well, Uli. Now, we're going to begin with uh, Marcelo Duarte Pinto, William Yeager and Olivier Bowden, who all kind of asked similar questions. Olivia said, how can you play so well? So, Uli, what was your journey with the guitar? How did you learn your craft? Well, <laughs> I started uh, actually not that early. I guess I started when I was 12. Or, but everything came very quickly. You know, it's like um, I learned the guitar and uh, and I found it uh, a very easy thing to do, I guess. You know, it just came to me. And then I took it very seriously. I loved it. I I was practicing, you know, and eventually you get to a point where you get better and better. And yeah, and hopefully that doesn't believe you. <laughs> Great stuff. And I've got a question here from Brian Donovan. He's asking about the effects and, and distortion and things like that that you used on the early Scorpions records, Virgin Killer in Trance, that kind of thing. And, and R.C. Miller has a similar question has, asking, how did you get that thick tone with the standard Stratocaster on those classic Scorpion records? Um, I think it, it was a combination of things. Back then, we didn't have a lot of gadgets like overdrive. We had a wall pedal. We had a fast pace, but the fast pace I only ever used to do like big destructive dive bomb kind of things and not really ever for lead playing. I was too crude for that. For my lead playing, I usually tended to use the wall pedal uh, to give me a little bit of extra boost. And then I cracked my out. Um, really hard to get the, the maximum resonance and feedback. But I always used to have a very high action on my strat, mm-hmm. uh, meaning I was able to really lay into the strings, coaxing the sound out of the guitar, you know, playing every note that life depended on it. And the amp and the guitar kind of responded. They have no choice except to put so much energy into it. I think that's really what it was. And there was a certain sound inside of my mind that, that I aspired to and never uh, got there really, but it was like um, a place to go to, right? So I had a, a clear image of what I wanted it to sound like, and that helps. Great stuff. And uh, I've got one from Mark Dobbs who says the Tokyo Tapes is one of his favourite live albums of all times. Was that visit to Japan a special time for you and the band? Yeah, it was really. It was the the combination of our mutual five-year journey from uh, the initial beginnings in 1973 with that band. You know, it was five years to the day 
uh, that uh, I stayed there. And Tokyo Tips was kind of designed to be the culmination point because uh, Klaus and Bruno said to me, look, um, we know you're leaving, but why don't we uh, make this final statement and, and capture this uh, for posterity? And I'm glad we did because at that time we were on a high. We had like really um, taken the band uh, from plateau to plateau and, and we were a really strong live band at that, at that time, you know, and, and the album fully captures that. Dean, you mentioned there that the, the guy said, come along with us, we know you're leaving. So you'd made the decision before the, the Tokyo visit and everything that you were going to be leaving the Scorpio. And I, 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 I handed in my notice in, in year before, okay. in 1977, you know, um, I didn't, because I really, and the, the reason was not personal. It was just purely artistic. It was because... I started to write uh, music like Earthquake and uh, other songs, which I knew had no place whatsoever in school. So that's uh, kind of really not um, resonated with any of the other stuff. So I, in, in 1977, I had a little bit of a dual existence. I wrote some of the songs for Scorpions, like Sales of Sharon and yeah. You're Alive, I've Got to Be There, but, um, I've Got to Be Free, and, and some other stuff. And But I also already wrote this music for Electric Sun, which was very different, yeah. you know. And um, because I was not so success-driven, the I mean, the, the band, obviously, we all knew that. Uh, we, we were getting more successful every year. We already had all sorts of stolen albums by then. And it was kind of in, inevitable almost. Um, but to me, that wasn't really so much the, the thing that, that interested me. Uh, I, I was more interested in exploring uh, music in a way uh, that was more free and in a um, band like that. Uh, I guess I had taken it as far as I I could at, the, at that point. And had I stayed on um, for all the other albums, I would have continued in the same vein as, as Tokyo Tips, you know. Um, but the electric sound stuff would have never been made. So. Absolutely. And does any part I of you kind of regret it. leaving the Scorpions at any point? No, I, I would have gone mad had I stayed <laughs> because I had so many other things to say and they, they needed saying, you know. And uh, um, no, I, the, it was an easy decision and it had to come and it, I had to make it, you know. And so it was a, just a natural progression. Absolutely. And a question from Maria Favel kind of follows on from that. She said, um, do, you, do you remain friends with Klaus and, and, and Rudy when you left the band? And are you still on friendly terms with the guys now? We're very much outside of the terms. Nothing else about James and Martin, though there were a great unit when, when I was in the band. Um, to this day, there's a, a family feeling when, why that's what we, 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 you know, and uh, uh, I, I guess that's going to change. 
Lovely stuff. And uh, Claudio Ferru, Eric Shurchuk, Dale Vance and Rod Hausman all asking the same question. Will there ever be a full tour with you and the Scorpions again? It's very late in the day. Um, you know, I, I don't know what their, their guidance are. But, um, you know, I, I really, I would be open to sort of anything, but it would, I would say it's probably unrelated at this point in time. And uh, an interesting question from William Walker. He says that he'd heard that uh, you'd been offered a, a few positions in different bands when you left the Scorpions, but turned them down. Which bands were the offers from? Uh, yeah, for instance, I mean, um, the, the first one, uh, and, and that was really tempting for me, I have to say, uh, was in 1975 uh, during our entrance production. Um, and... Uh, we were recording a demo for Entrance at Dev Studios, and I got a phone call from the manager of Manfred Mann, oh. who back then were um, a, a great live band. They're, they're probably still operating in America recently, but uh, they were much bigger than the Sportings at that time. We, uh, we did several support slots for them, and I think Manfred Mann. Um, they were looking for a new guitar player and they figured that I might be the one for them. So they asked me to come and do um, join the band, essentially, you know. And it was tempting because they were a very good band and I would have ended up being in London, um, which would have really changed my life at this, at this point. Um, but I remember Clausen Brock, they, uh, they actually talked me out of it. So, you know, I took over, <laughs> well, way, way past midnight, uh, it was. And we were friends, you know, so I, I stayed, but, uh, um, I don't know how, what, what has happened and I left the school and so that point in time. That sounds a very interesting dynamic, you moving to, to Manfred Mann and, and the sort of music that they were playing. But it sounds like you, you'd, you'd made your mind up then if, if Klaus and the boys had to talk you around and, and talk you to stay. Well, you know, I, uh, I did it really for them, I guess, you know, because as I said, I was, I was tempted by, uh, it, it was a band with a lot of musicianship. I really liked the bass player, the drummer, and Manfred Mann, uh, you know, they weren't just the band that did like these hit songs like Pretty Flamingo. There was much more to that, you know. But um, yeah, anyway, so some of that comes to mind. Indeed. Uh, one from Paul Rolson. He says, Earthquake is such an underrated album, so innovative. It's a classic that it should be in everyone's collection. How long did it take you to write, record, and then produce the album? And well, it took. Um, after right, I mean, I had written most of the songs already um, during the time of the Scorpions, and then uh, Tokyo Tips was in April '78. We then found the drama. We then started rehearsing after the summer, and we started recording in the winter. First of all, a place called Scorpio Sound Studio in um, somewhere in the center of London, uh, which doesn't exist anymore, but I wasn't so happy with the sound there. 
um, I had looked around other places, etc. And then and we ended up in Olympic Studios, which is one of these iconic places where uh, Jimi Hendrix did some of his best work and Led Zeppelin, even the Beatles, you know, so they, and had a fantastic role with great ambience and sound. That's where I love with that sound there. So that's where we recorded it. We recorded it in the winter, and uh, I think it was mixed in January of 79. That was the story of, of Earthquake. And in terms of that, we, we, we've got an eagerly anticipated reissue of that album as well, haven't we? The end of September is coming out. Yeah. We're, uh, we have just finished uh, the remastering process, which was quite lengthy because yeah. we've tried many different angles. We went back to the original quarter-inch mix, mixes, which we had never done before. Uh, the, all the other remasters um, from various record companies were remasters of remasters. <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> uh, and by the end, uh, it doesn't sound like the real thing anymore. So now it does sound like the real thing. It sounds very much like what it sounded like back then, you know, which is uh, a very different sound from what you hear on most other albums, I guess. It was an eclectic sound, um, a very pure sound uh, without any thrills. I, I wanted it very pure and, and warm and uh, not a heavy metal kind of sound. Uh, it has, it has its own sound, you know. Back then, it really didn't fit the mode of the time of what was yeah. required. All the other bands were doing other things. And with, uh, at first, it was not received that well. People said, well, why is he not doing stuff like Virgin Caroline? Why is he doing that? But then, gradually, it changed. And the album did get recognition and became a, kind of a bit of a cult album. And nowadays, if I may say so, it, it does sound like it was from that time, but I think there's a certain timeless quality about it because it is unlike any other album that, that I built. And it is what it is, you know, with uh, all its imperfections. But I think there were also some uh, eye points on it that, that, that I'm proud of to mistake. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And as we said, that's coming out at the end of September, I think September 29th or something. Out, that we it's coming out in a way, in a different way, because uh, rather than going through a traditional route of sort of going through a, a normal standard record label, we decided to make our own. So I've got my own label now. It's Brilliant. called Alpha Experium. And uh, we're going to re release all of my back catalog one by one to the best of. Uh, my knowledge and abilities. We've got to put a lot of effort into getting it right, you know, both in terms of the artwork and, of course, the, the mastering. Yeah, so that's the beginning of a, a new story. And that's the first one is, is finished now, it's going into print now. That's Earthquake, but no, others will follow, you know, all, all others will follow. Good stuff. I've got a couple of uh, kind of generic questions then. I've got one here from um, Martin McCaffrey who said, would you do an album of your favourite Jimi Hendrix songs? Um, I have con contemplated something in the past, uh, you know, uh, because we did, uh, we did um, a TV show once called The Different Side of Jimi Hendrix where um, I picked all these uh, maybe slightly less unknown um, off the beaten track pieces like um, 
one gravy wish, etc., which uh, Jack Moose signed beautifully on there. So I wouldn't say no to that. You know, right now, uh, there's a chance of, of that happening, but who knows what the future holds. And rather than an album, I would, I would be more see a live event and then recording it live because an album would be, uh, yeah, it would be quite painful to make. There would be so many choices to make. Yeah, you're up against the blueprint of Jimi Hendrix, you know, how can you better that, which is absolutely perfect, you know. I can't. But there are some other pieces where you can put a different spin on it and, um, and make it still worthwhile listening, I guess. Good stuff. Uh, one here from Carl Alrick. He says, do you feel Ingve has copied much of your earlier playing style? Because Carl does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and he doesn't deny that. I don't know if he copied it as such, but it, it gave him some inspiration, you know, that is uh, pretty obvious. But that's how we all learn. You know, I learned so much from listening to other class and then it becomes part of your own DNA and you take it to some other level and some other level. The next one's from Harry Pillai. Apologies if I've got that wrong, Harry. Uh, he says, how much credit do you think Richie Blackmore deserves for inventing the neoclassical shred movement? And are you a fan of Richie's? Neoclassical shred movement. What, what a name. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Richie is one of the all-time greats of the guitar. He deserves uh, all the credit. Uh, he was totally unique when he first burst onto the scene in 1970. In fact, I remember a friend of mine just before, this was just before, while Jimmy was still alive, um, this was just before he died, before we went to his last concert, the Feynman Festival. Mm -hmm. And he said, I've heard this band, Deep Purple, and the guitar player is much better than Jimmy Hendrix. You know, and I said, yeah, right. You know, and um, so I didn't really hear Deep Purple then, but I I got to see them live in 1972 at the A-Day with Child in Time in Hanover, and uh, they were amazing, you know. So, uh, yeah, Richie was one of these pathfinders, and, uh, of course, he had all these incredibly memorable riffs, you know, like uh, like Smoke on the Water and Black Knight, uh, all, all of these, you know, so he was a riff master, but as a lead player, he was uh, totally unique, and he still is. So it's all, it was always uh, exciting to listen to him because nobody played like that. Fantastic. Uh, Ian Bocock wants to know, what are your thoughts, what's going through your mind when you're soloing on stage? Um... My mind is strangely blank of thoughts as such. I'm not thinking. It's just my mind becomes music, and it's always different. There's no, there's no formula. It becomes music, emotion, and various levels of energy, colors, shapes, movement. So, but it's not, it's not words. It's something which is beyond words. Yeah. It's a strange mixture of visual visualization because I'm very much visualizing what I'm playing, 
and and it ends up as shapes, movements, and some magical a feeling. A flow of electricity, I would say. Absolutely a feeling, because what happens in my mind, I will um, play the note when I don't think of my fingers, I don't think of anything, but the sound of the note starts to amplify in my mind, and it's almost like I'm traveling into the tip of that note, and I see it vibrate in 3D slow motion. And then it finishes and goes to the next. That's <laughs> difficult, difficult to explain. <laughs> difficult to explain, but that's a fascinating it's insight. It's completely beyond words. It's completely beyond words. I've written this book in search of the alpha law. And um, I wrote it during lockdown. It's a huge tone. And a lot of it is about these things. It's, it's about the deeper meaning of the musical notes and um, what's what makes it so that it evokes certain emotions in us. And the, the hardest thing in the book was to put these things into words. Okay. Music is absolutely beyond words. You, know, you can talk about it, but by talking about it, you're already putting it into another box where it really doesn't belong. You know, yeah. It's too vast for that. So, Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating insight and a, a lovely, wonderfully descriptive way of, of describing it too. Thank you so much, Uli. Uh, on to the last couple of questions then, and it's one that many people have asked. Kevin Davis, Walter Allen, Anders Lovemark, Pete Bilge, uh, Roman Harris, Kyle Lovell, they all ask a variation of... They all ask the same question. They're all asking the same <laughs> variation. When are you coming to? And then you insert UK, US, Greece, Sweden, Finland in there. Uh, and this leads us nicely to the touring that you've got planned for, for this year. Um, you Coming yeah. to the UK, you're touring across Wales, England, Scotland as well. There's nine dates across 10 days, so not much rest in there at all. Yeah. Um, so plenty for us to see here in Britain. Um, what can we expect for, for the people that come to your shows? What are we going to hear from you? Um, it, it will be uh, quite a mixed bag. So we are we are playing things from the past. I'm going to watch and play sorry very recent uh, as yet unpublished music, you know. So there'll be uh, some of my uh, best talking stuff, that, the stuff that works best on stage, like Lola Woodman, Sky, and, and Trance, and Power well, Sun in My Hand, etc. But we'll also have a selection of electric sound songs reflecting the fact that we're just re-releasing all of this. We got to play some which, you know, I haven't played in the past or very rarely. And uh, then also some new stuff. Um, in the middle of the show, I'll do some solo stuff with my uh, nine-string flamenco sky guitar with the nylon strings. So that, that's solo. I'm doing some of that. And I guess it'll be colorful, you know, without a screen uh, and um, I'm producing videos to go with, with the tracks, which, which I like, yeah. you know. And so that's it. 
Fascinating stuff. And as we said, that that's in November and there is dates across yeah, Newcastle, no, Cardiff. Yeah, and, November, exactly. That's it. Yep. And you're going right across the UK, Wolverhampton, November, um, Leeds, I think, you've Cardiff. You're coming up to Troon, Winterstorm there as well. Yeah. So pretty much everywhere across the UK. Get your tickets now, look them out and definitely come along and see Uli uh, when he performs here in the UK. But not just the UK, you've got a big tour lined up for America as well. And we're talking yeah, America, California, and Texas, and, everywhere. Yeah, uh, we're going around uh America once uh one and a half months and in, in April, you know. And uh, which is something I've I've done a lot of times in the past with the tour all around America, but I haven't been for I guess four years now with uh COVID. Yeah. You know. So that's something we're all we're all looking forward to and as is the UK. I I'd always love playing the UK. Um it always Tends to happen that around that time, you know, in the early winter or late autumn. But that's that's great. That's fine. Like even the very first Scorpions tour we did in uh, 1975 in the UK, it was around that time, uh, October, November. Yeah, oh, good stuff. So that's the UK. That's that's America. Have you got any other dates planned for for mainland Europe or anything like that? Yeah, there there are. There, there's going to be. We're, we're booking them as we speak, but uh, them's not published yet. They're not confirmed yet. Something else which you mentioned just kind of threw in there. Uh, Pell Engstrom wants to know when the next album is coming out. And you mentioned when you were talking about what you were going to play in the show that there are some unreleased tracks that you'll be throwing in there too. So um, does, is the next record on the way? Yeah, um, I am recording uh, a new album at Dirk Studios at Cologne at the moment. And uh, we're making good progress, but it's too early to say when when it'll be finished, you know. But um, we may release the odd track beforehand, you know, as is the custom nowadays. You know, it's like people have this instead of an album, you have the track or two. And why not, you know? And what can we expect from this new record? How's it feeling so far, the writing and the recording process? Uh, I've already written most of it, you know, and, and the recording is going well. That's, that's all I can say, you know, it's going well. Um, I'm, I'm quite happy with that. But uh, as, as with all my albums, it's going to be something that you, you won't be able to put it into one box and, and classify it. It's got quite a diverse spectrum. Fantastic stuff. Well, Uli, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today and we look forward to seeing you out on the road, especially here in the UK for my UK-based I, listeners. I, uh, it's going to be wonderful. Yeah, well, well we're not playing Cornwall. <laughs> I get up to play that. It's, that's a rare occurrence, isn't it? We'll get that lined up. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, Uli. You're very welcome. Thanks. So there you go, the brilliant Uli John Roth there. What a guitarist he is, and a down-to-earth guy too. Definitely get yourself along to see him if you can. All the dates for the UK tour and the North America tour are out now. Check out ulijohnroth.com for more information, or find him on all the usual social media channels, you know, the works. Sounds like a really great mix of, of work on that as well on his live shows. The Electric Sun stuff, solo stuff, uh, classic Scorpions material as well, so well worth checking out the guitar maestro in person while you still can. Anyway, that's it for me this week. And uh, again, thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe to Vintage Rock Pod on 
your podcast app so you get every single episode when they're released on a Monday morning. Next week's episode is episode 100, and I've got a legend on, the man with the biggest selling album of 1976, no less. So get subscribing if you haven't already, and please do leave Vintage Rock Pod a five-star review on the podcast app that you use. It makes a really big difference. It really does. And if you use Spotify, there's a fun little thing you can do where you can answer a question. When I remember to put a question up, then please do leave us a little comment on there. I always like to see them. A few people do that, which which always raises a smile. So thank you so much for that as well. Um, check out the Vintage Rock Pod YouTube channel. Again, give us a like, follow, subscribe on the social media stuff. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod everywhere. I've got it all locked down. You can find us on all the usual places. A big thanks to you, all of you who interact each week with me, whether it's on social media or YouTube or emails as well. I love getting your emails. Thank you so much to everyone that gets in touch. Kenny Hoggins and enjoying my show. I've been in touch recently. Email vintagerockpod at gmail.com. I do try my best to get back to you all as well. Anyway, that's it for this week's episode. Next week's big 100, episode 100, will be out next Monday. But until then, as always, please do take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.